0: just the best literature well hello again everyone thanks for listening in today well with me in the studio today is my wonderful producer mr dan arnfield good afternoon dan hello glad to have you back we're done with classes by the way for everybody out there that might wonder why aren't you having more programs well we had a lot of essays to do and <laughs> a lot of tests to grade but that's all over Also with me in the studio is one of my best friends in literature, Mr. Grant Turgeon. Welcome back into the studio, Mr. Turgeon.
1: Yes, thank you very much.
0: Well, on our last program, uh, we covered uh, chapters 128, 129, and 130. And today, we will be discussing chapters 133, 134, and 135. And basically, for all of your readers out there, it's it's chase the first day, chase the second day, and chase the third day. So it really is really very interesting. Now, uh, this will be the next to the last program that we're going to be taping on Moby Dick. The last program is going to be the epilogue. And then Mr. Turge and I are going to discuss with you our favorite highlights from the book. And by doing that, we want you to go back and listen to the whole series. I think it would really help you. So let's start now with chapter 133. And... uh I like to call this chapter Moby Dick is like the great
1: god. <laughs> so go ahead. Well, this give it to me. These last three chapters are the climax to the book. They finally confront Moby Dick after searching for him for such a long time. They've been following him all over the high seas and now they have caught up to him. But the problem is, it seems like Moby Dick wanted them to. <laughs> see him. He wanted, he wanted to be spotted and he lured them in by making the sea around him seem extremely serene and calm and so of course the Pequod unloads its boats and all of the sailors start chasing after Moby Dick and then he strikes because it was all a trap. Right. Yeah. He's. We can talk about this as we go. Just a
0: few few things from chapter 133 that that I wanted to highlight just a little bit is I think the first couple sentences are hilarious because <laughs> they go to bed that night, you know, they have the midwatch and uh Ahab he can't sleep because he's trying to get Moby Dick, but then he smells them. <laughs> right. <laughs> he smells the odor. And I love it when they say say that uh I'll just read this couple sentences. That night in the midwatch when the old man as one his intervals stepped forth from the scuttle in which he leaned and went to his pivot hole. So, you know, he's got to stick his wooden leg in that pivot hole. He suddenly thrust out his face fiercely, snuffing up the sea as a sagacious ship dog's will. So, he's like the ship dog. <laughs> he could smell Moby Dick. And uh, of course, he probably didn't sleep much that night. He says, he declared that the well must be near. Soon the peculiar odor, sometimes to a great distance, given forth by the living sperm whale, well, was palpable. Uh, to all the watch, nor was there any mariner surprise when, after inspecting the compass and the dog vane, and then ascertaining the precise bearing of the odor as nearly as possible, Ahab rapidly ordered the ship's course to be slightly altered and the sail to be shortened, so the crew has a lot of trust in his nose. <laughs> Do and they really have a choice though? No, no, it's like my dog, you know she's a little little dog, but if I go somewhere. When I walk in the door she's got to smell me. She's got to smell my pants. and say where have you been, you know. So that's movie. All right. Um the other thing I think and what we have to understand historically and uh, actually uh if you look at it let's say from a biological standpoint the sperm whales do put out odor. They do it on purpose. So uh I think that's kind of interesting. There's another thing there in the second, just the second paragraph. There it says the acute policy dictating these movements was sufficiently vindicated at daybreak, and so in other words, here Ahab is at night and he's getting all the crew up and telling him, "Look, we have got to start, you know, following this." But by daybreak, they see that Ahab actually was right to move it, and he says, uh, "By the sight of a long sleek on the sea, directly and lengthwise, abroad, smooth as oil." And resembling in the pleated watery wrinkles bordering it, the polished metallic like marks of some swift tide rip at the mouth of the deep rapid stream. That's a lot just to say (laughs) that you could see the stream of where he went. So uh, who knows else what he was expelling as he was going. Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) hopefully you get that joke out there. So go ahead.
1: Yeah. So they they catch up to him and. Uh, it's funny, I, th- I think one of the parts of the book that really frustrates me about Ahab the most is here at the end, because even at the end of the book, he's still manipulating his crew. He basically offers the doubloon to the first man to cite Moby Dick, and... A couple other men say that they found him, but Ahab says, well, actually, I cried out first and said that I spotted him, so the doubloon is mine. And then you find out later in the book as well, one more time, he manipulates them with that gold coin because he says, okay, I know I spotted the the doubloon earlier, but whoever kills him, I'll still give you the doubloon. Yeah. So, okay, he's going to take credit for that no matter what happens. You know that he's just stringing them along with a small monetary prize to keep yeah. being loyal to him and it works they they always lose their minds in the frenzy of a whale hunt That's and terrible. they keep on following him and keep on trying to win that money
0: yeah it's terrible it it just shows how, how some people in this world uh and we know a few that we don't ne- necessarily need to talk about on the radio here but uh he really did have control and even even as we go through this even he even has control over Starbucks now in many ways and we'll we'll get into that in a little bit as well. But I, I made a note on my my page here about I can't believe that he there's Tigo and DeGu up on they're way up high and they see him and he says, No, I saw him first you know. <laughs> so those two guys could really strangle him probably and get rid of him, but they don't. So uh I think it's interesting to just follow up with what you were saying there is Ahab says he cl- uh, well actually Ishmael's writing this says Ahab claims that he called out first and that he himself has won the golden doubloon <laughs> and actually uh, he says that in some ways fate has reserved the
1: doubloon for me. He he confesses that he was going to get the the money the whole time. Yeah. I mean it's just yeah it it really did frustrate me a lot <laughs> reading this part of the book just seeing how manipulative and dishonest he is and. If any crew in history ever deserved to stage a mutiny, it was this one. And yeah. Starbuck thought about shooting him in his sleep. And <laughs> oh, now, you know, he's he's robbing the pagans on in his crew <laughs> of money. <laughs> These loyal pagans who will do anything for him. Oh. And he's not even giving them the reward that they deserve because for for spotting the whale. So obviously, uh, Ahab deserves to be overthrown. And then you just know the way that this book turns out. You just wish that someone would have taken action and taken taken over the ship from Ahab. Yeah, even Starbuck to me
0: at this point it seems like he's he's overcome as well. So we can we can keep going on here. It Says uh, once they see Moby Dick, once everything is going in the morning, uh, you know we know that Tashdigo Dagoo cried out. He says that uh, the doubloon the, the is his. But it's interesting, he wants to be put down in this boat. He wants to go after that. He wants to lead the way. And I think it's interesting that they make Starbucks stay back. You know, because they didn't get along, really. <laughs> you know. He says, Mr. Starbuck, remember, stay on board and keep the ship. Helm there, luff, luff, a point. So steady man steady. There go the flukes. So they're they're seeing, you know, the whale. Now, if we go if we just keep slipping over, uh Fidella shows up now again and he's he's an interesting character but he's not very often you see him in the book and uh, he had the big prophecy about how Ahab's going to die he's going to die first and then Ahab's going to die <laughs> You know. So, but anyway if you look at that if you look at the top of the page uh, I guess it's five five 596 it talks about Fidel and says a pale death glimmer lit up Fidel's sunken eyes a hideous motion nodded his mouth so Fidela sees what's coming. He knows his own death is coming first. Everybody might be excited
1: about, wow, he finally found Moby. It's not going to work well. <laughs> right. He he also, I mean, in my opinion, it seemed like Fidella also was a little bit uh, excited by the fact that his prophecy was coming true. Obviously, he saw his own death coming, but it was almost like, Finally, this is this is my fate. This is my destiny. He and Ahab seem to really believe in fate quite yeah, a lot, Very much, and they yeah. just want to fulfill whatever their fate may be, even if it's death. So it seemed like Fadala wasn't too afraid of being destroyed by a whale here. No, no. he's ready for it. Even yeah. even though he didn't, he, no one wants to die, but it seemed like he was ready for it. Yeah,
0: because I, I think, you know, he, he was involved in that religion. I, I forget what it is now. The It was like a fire-worshiping religion. Mm. And, and I think a, a lot of people that are kind of crazy religions believe that, you know, it's going to be better on the other side when they go
1: to heaven. You know they don't ever talk about going to hell, but they talk about <laughs> you know, they talk about going to heaven. Well, there's also a and, lot of them believe that if you die a certain way, it's more honorable, right. and you might have a, a better reward in the afterlife. So, what could be more heroic than dying trying to harpoon a whale?
0: Yeah, that's right. And even the even the Japanese, you know, they, they really followed this. It was it was very glorious to commit suicide. You know, fall on your sword. All right, there's a. One thing about this, this page, this chapter, is, is you can see that, if you really study it carefully, you can really see that Melville is being influenced by Shakespeare. Because this whole next section on this page, it's 596, it's like you're reading about a Greek myth. And if you just look at it, it's uh, it's so funny. It's very poetic, but it's like Moby Dick is the grand royal whale. He's the king. Or it's like he's like a Greek god. He's Jove. (laughs) He's Jove impersonated. And and towards the bottom of the page, it's like, yeah, he's swimming in the ocean with Europa. (laughs) You know, that was, of course, the Holy Roman Empire have taken, they, they call Europe Europa. So it's all based on the gods. But it's a very, very poetic paragraph. It says, he saw the vast involved wrinkles of the slightly projecting head beyond before it far out the soft Turkish rug waters went glistening white shadow from his broad milky forehead, a musical rippling playfully accompanying the shade. So this is talking about Moby Dick. <laughs> you know, he's this vicious killer. He says, but now he's it's like he's in a musical. He says uh, he was playfully accompanying the shade and behind the blue waters, interchangeably flowing over into the moving valley of a steady wake, and on the other either hand bright bubbles rose and danced above his side. So here these guys are wanting
1: to kill this thing, and, and then Ishmael gets poetic <laughs> with it. So I also noticed how Starbuck seems to be the only character who always is talking in Old English, mm-hmm. almost like Shakespearean-level English. Yep. I don't know if, I don't know why Melville did it that way, Because he
0: was reading Shakespeare.
1: (laughs) But Starbucks seems to be the one who is not quite committed to the chase of the whale. Right. And he's the one thinking deeper about all of the possibilities. And so it's interesting that the deep thinker is the one speaking in a higher level of language there.
0: Yeah. I I think it's, uh, that's great insight, by the way. But it it is, it, it really is. He's really experimenting. I think the further he got into the novel, the more he's experimenting. So but also in this these final chapters, he's really good scriptural as well. And uh we, we want to make sure we can get to that today. So um but again, if you look at that um well maybe the third paragraph down, it says a gentle joyness he's talking about um uh, Moby says, a gentle joyousness, a mighty mildness of repose and swiftness, investing the gliding well, not the white bull Jupiter swimming away with ravished Europa clinging to his graceful horns. His lovely, leering eye sideways intent upon the maid, with smooth, bewitching fleetness rippling straight through the nuptial bower in Crete. Not Jove, not the great majesty supreme, did surpass the glorified white
1: whale as he so divinely swam. <laughs> uh, it just sounds like almost th- the whale is seducing them to follow after him exactly uh, i mean yeah. he just sa- looks look i'm harmless come on and, and get me yeah
0: come on hun let's go let's go let's let's dance you know <laughs> we could we play that song just dance you know anyway uh we just skip over we, there's a little bit more on there on Fadala. that's a hard name to remember how to say that Fidala. Well, he's a, he's a Muslim, so it's like it has the name Allah, but yeah, the Allah God name him, yeah. in it. Yeah. But if you go to the next page, it's really funny. Is Ahab is all excited. They're going to get the they're going to get the well, and then this whole swarm of birds come in, and they actually are trying to warn Ahab that Moby is right underneath him. <laughs> he can't see. He, he's in the boat now. You know, he's got one one good leg. He's got a harpooner there and they're looking for moby dick and moby dick is right underneath them and the birds come in and they start swirling
1: around to warn him and that's isn't that how it is with a lot of these whales when they come up above water some of the birds maybe feed on whatever is stuck to the whale oh, isn't sure that right i'm sure there's snails and mollusks and yeah. everything else stuck to them so it seems like the birds are excited for the whale to come up above water and then they can feast yeah. So, but, but at the same time, they're also, like you said, they're warning Ahab of where Moby Dick is located because the birds are waiting to feast as soon <laughs> <Yeah>. as Moby, <laughs> Moby Dick comes back
0: up. Moby can't see him because he's right underneath them. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, Ahab finally gets it with the birds there. It says he whirls the craft aside from the tremendous apparition, then calling upon Fadala to change places with him. He went forward to the bows and then seizing a Perth's harpoon Commanded his crew to grasp the oars and stand astern. So what they're saying is, okay, now we can see him. But as it says here in this chapter, you're talking about a maliciously intelligent beast, and he's right underneath them. They can't even harpoon him
1: because they can't see him. Well, the crew is just incredibly skilled. The fact that they're able to move quickly enough to escape the gaping mouth of a whale that's coming directly up at them from underneath. Yeah the fact that they were able to dodge the whale several times is really impressive. Yeah. Obviously at some point the whale's going to get them, but the the fact that they were able to deftly move their craft the way that they did, I mean, that just shows this is not really any ordinary crew. These are some pretty high skilled yeah. men. Yeah. And you got some of Fadala's crew
0: in that mixed in with them, mm-hmm. you know? So they're, they're, uh, I think it's funny though. Maybe not funny, but air Melville is getting really, uh, honest about ahab because a monomaniac (laughs) monomaniac ahab anyway we can keep moving there's one uh line in here i don't really understand because we don't read the book of the maccabees but he compares ahab to antiochus elephants in the book of maccabees and i don't know what that means so it's not the spiritual stuff we want to talk about you know so but notice then. This is the page of one five ninety nine at the bottom. It says Fadala incuriously and mildly eyed him. The clinging crew at the other drifting end could not succor him. More than enough was it for them to look to themselves. So, Fadala is in the picture, but he's really gazing at Moby Dick. He's really looking out. You know, he's actually. I think he's looking out for Ahab. He's trying to protect him. And so, uh, uh, anyway, uh, I think the next page. What's really important is. Starbuck does not want Ahab to go after Moby Dick.
1: He wants to protect him. Right, yeah. Basically, day one of this chase of Moby Dick ends with Moby Dick biting through one of the boats. (laughs) But none of the men died, and so the ship goes and collects all the men out of the water. I mean, he did a lot of damage, but he didn't kill anybody. There were some sprains, there were some injuries here and there, but no one was taken out of commission where they couldn't go back on the chase the very next day. Yeah. And so Ahab thought, Well, we we're still at full strength here. We're just going to go right back out for day two. And Starbucks says, Really? I mean, you don't you don't think maybe we got lucky this one time and we should just get <laughs> get, get out of here. <laughs> here. Yeah.
0: Well I think it's funny that, that Ahab was tossed out of the boat and went flat on his face. <laughs> he he can't swim. He's got he only has one leg. And the other leg got snapped. The wood leg that
1: was made for him was snapped in half. So he's got a leg and a half. And uh, <laughs> and he's just floating helplessly out there. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these men, one boat was crunched in half, but the other. a lot of the other men were thrown into the water and floating helplessly. Like you said, Ahab was just doing enough to float yeah. and uh, stay above water and not drown, yeah. even though he couldn't swim. And then... What I think is, is really
0: funny, then if you look towards the very end of the chapter, we just have to get this out there. Stubb makes a really weird joke to to Ahab. This is page 602, top of the page. He makes this, this crack. <laughs> then uh, Ahab calls him a polteron. He's an utter coward. Uh, so he really slaps Stubb, you know, because Stubb is the happy-go-lucky guy, you know, this kind of thing. And then, then at the bottom of the page, this is what you <laughs> talked about earlier, as he comes in, he gets all
1: the crew together and offers them the balloon again. <laughs> so you already talked
0: about that. So that
1: Well, it's funny. Like Basically, Stubbs said that the boat that Moby Dick crunched through was just like a sliver in a donkey's mouth. Yeah. And it, so obviously the donkey wouldn't like having a sliver in his mouth, so he spat it out. Yeah. And that's the way that Stubb was joking. Yeah. And Ahab gets offended at the fact that that stub would laugh or cry in front yeah. of a wreck. So he says, "You can't be too emotional in this business, yeah. either way." Yeah, you coward, You're <laughs> you poltroon. Know, so all right, uh, let's let's skip over to chapter one thirty four. It's uh,
0: what's really funny is they finally realized that Fidella is gone. They lost him at sea, and it was actually Ahab's fault.
1: Right? They. I think this was during day two uh, when they. Right? They all. They all wrecked on day two again, kind of similar to the yeah. first day. So yeah. they had a backup boat to yeah. replace the one that was crunched on day one. Yeah. And then they all get back on the ship. And it does seem like it takes them a while to actually figure out that Fadala is missing. Because they said there was no one missing. And then all of a sudden, yeah. where's Fadala? Right. And uh,
0: it's all tied to the time when Ahab was trying to you know hold on to the rope and he's trying to cut it. And there was the harpoon. And uh, Fadala harpooned the whale.
1: And then he got stuck with the whale. Well, so. that, it seemed like it seemed like a lot of the crew members actually did successfully harpoon the whale. Yeah. But all those different wires got crossed, literally, right. and that's what tangled up all the boats, and it even tangled up Fadala's entire body. Yeah, he's he's actually tied to the whale now. Right. Yeah. So he's he not got got at dragged. the bottom.
0: He's not at the bottom of the sea. He's actually in his coffin.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: because that's what his his prophecy
1: was just horrible. Because then they then they see. Moby dick i think maybe it was the third day they finally see fadala's body just being dragged along yeah as they're as they're hunting him the third day and that's when ahab knows he's dead yeah all right uh the other thing on the second
0: day is i think it's funny that stub comes back into the picture this is page 605 and he's just like this is second day even after all the trouble the first day stub is just happy-go-lucky it's towards the bottom of the page. He says, by salt and hemp, cried Stubb, but this swift motion of the deck creeps up on legs and tingles at the heart. The ship and I are two brave fellows. Ha, ha. Someone takes me up and launch me spine-wise on the sea. For for by live oaks, my spine's a keel. Ha, ha. We go to the gate that leaves no dust behind. So essentially,
1: he's denying he's a coward. He's, call, he's calling himself a boat. Like You guys can all hop on top of me, and we can sail after Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah, see? Now I'm not a coward. I'm not a coward. So anyway, the next page,
0: uh, Ahab leads the crew to their fatal goal. It says, The hand of fate had snatched all the souls, and by the stirring perils of the previous day, the rack of the past night suspense, the fixed, unfearing, blind, reckless way in which the wild craft went plunging toward its flying mark. By all these things their hearts were bowled together.
1: So they're all essentially gonna go down with Ahab. Well, it also says in this on this page, they were one man, not thirty. So basically they were the arms and legs of Ahab yeah. doing all of his will. Yeah. And it didn't matter what any of them thought was a better decision. It doesn't doesn't matter all the times that they probably should have overthrown Ahab. Here they are chasing the whale, and in the moment, they're all for it. Yeah. Even if they didn't think it was a good idea before the chase started. I know, even Starbuck. Yeah, he's supporting it. And the thing is, I think it's interesting
0: that he uses the word Antiochus in here. I mean, it's like from Maccabees. I want to just go read that now to see what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. It's
1: probably
0: a really fascinating story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then the the thing about this chapter, and again, it's uh, typical of sperm whales, but Moby breaches himself. And, uh, this entices Ahab to make sure he follows. Um, it says, uh, if you look at the second paragraph down, it says, uh, so suddenly seen in the blue plane of the sea and relieved against the still bluer margin of the sky, the spray that he raised for the moment intolerably glittered and glared like a glacier. And so that's his white head, you know, it looks like a glacier. And then, um, uh, at the bottom of the page there it uh it says uh
1: which page is this
0: this is page 607 oh, okay it says as if to strike quick terror into them by this time being the first to on himself moby dick had turned and was now coming for the three crews so he's not only going after ahab now he's going after all three he says ahab's boat was central and cheering his men he told them he would take the whale head to head that is pull straight up to his forehead not uncommon thing for within a certain limit. Such, a course, excludes the coming onset from the whale's sidelong vision. But here that close limit was gained, and while yet all three boats were plain as the ship's three masts to his eye, the white whale churning himself into furious speed, almost in an instant, as it were, rushing upon the boats with open jaws. And so he was going after all three boats now. And like, oh,
1: he's going to eat them all. It you know? seems like a kind of a nonsensical strategy but it does make sense that ahab would want to be right in front of the whale since the eyes are on the side of its head Mm -hmm. and so it's almost like the whale's blind spot would be right in front of its own face yeah so ahab actually he's gonna put his boat right in the way even though it's in the path of a train he's just going to be right in front of this whale yeah so anyway there is all this uh i think really good um
0: there's really good strategies But one thing we don't want to deny is Moby Dick had probably the greatest strategy. (laughs) You know, he, he, he knew, uh, I think it's, it's also, it's in this chapter that, that Ahab wakes up or maybe it's the next one. Ahab wakes up and says, he's chasing me. I'm not chasing him. Right. That's day three, I think. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we can slip over there quickly, uh, to day three. And again, for all of you listening out there, you're just going to have to, uh, to make sure you read these all in detail, but one thing I think that's that's interesting in this chapter, and again, this is this just shows I think um, Melville's understanding of the Bible. If you look at the second paragraph, this is page uh, 613. It says, um, "The morning of the third day dawned fair and fresh, and once more the solitary nightman at the head was relieved by crowds of daylight lookouts." Who dotted every mast and almost every spear, so they've got the lookouts already there. But Ahab is in a really happy mood. He said, "Do you see him?" cried Ahab. But the whale was not yet in sight. In his infallible wake, though, but follow that wake. That's all, and so he's giving instructions. Look, just stay with the wake. You know, don't go anywhere else. And notice what Ahab does. He says, "What a lovely day again." He says where a new made world and made for a summer house to the angels this morning of the first of its throwing open to them a fair day could not dawn on the world so here's what he's saying and and again there's this is really scriptural what he's saying here he's really quoting jude 6 there and he's really quoting second peter where they talk about the angels in their estate and so he said wow look at this day so beautiful, the angels could see it as a, you know, as a great day. But then he goes on to say later in the chapter, is that Moby is actually possessed by the fallen angels. Now, <laughs> you can only get that in Jude six and Second Peter. I mean, so so he knows about this. It's true that you know angels can possess animals like dogs and And, wolves and and pigs and pigs (laughs)
1: like what christ sending that whatever you call it a herd or a flock of of pigs whatever the name for that group is uh over a cliff and they all drowned yeah jude six maybe a demon could take up in a whale after you know jude six says and the angels which kept not their first estate but left
0: their own habitation he hath reserved in in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day And so so I just had to get that in. I mean, that's, that's how he opens this chapter. And uh, but everybody needs to know that the earth actually was made for the angels. They were the first rulers, and uh,
1: they failed. And so God has a new plan, and that's men. Well, th- speaking of demons as well, Ahab says that he never thinks. He only feels, feels, feels. <laughs> that's so a, that's, that's a, a great, problem. That's, that's a we'll great worship. line, though. Yeah. That is really a great
0: line. Yeah, so I think that's that's really good. So there is a lot in this chapter that, again, we can't necessarily get get through it at all. At page six fifteen, the second paragraph down, he says, um, "An old, old sight, and yet somehow so young." This is Ahab talking about himself. I, I, not a changed wing since I first saw it as a boy from the sand hills of Nantucket. The same, the same, the same to Noah as to me. So he brings up Noah and the ark. And then at the bottom there, it says, um, what Ahab starts doing is he starts thinking now about Fidelis' prophecy. And he says, okay, it's coming. You know, he knows it's coming. He said, well, I have eyes at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> Supposing I descend those endless stairs? Now, that even goes back to, to Jacob in the dream. Mm. You know, I mean, it's really, it's just, he he incorporates. That's so amazing
1: much. how, how frequent these references come up. Oh, I know.
0: It's just, it's really good. It says, I, I like many more. Thou dost direful as truth as touching thyself, Oh, Parsi, but Ahab, uh, there, thy shot fell short. So he's remembering the prophecy. And, uh, then I think it's in this chapter where he does see.
1: Fidel tied to the whale. Mm. And he knows that's his, his uh basically something similar happens to him because ahab gets off a good harpoon shot as well and yeah. i think ahab also gets tangled it seems like in the lines yeah and so maybe maybe moby dick is carrying off Fidala and ahab in a similar way yeah. but basically the whale decides he's not going to keep toying with the boats anymore he's going to go straight after the ship that yeah. keeps saving the men from drowning yeah. at the end of each day of the hunt so he Moby Dick crushes the ship, too. Yeah.
0: That's the thing everybody needs to, to realize is that the fallen angels thing is on page 618. It says there, Moby Dick seemed combinedly possessed by all the angels that fell from heaven. <laughs> so so now, I'm sorry, that, that's a scriptural reference. But then he also, it's like he really wants to destroy the Pequod, too. And then he does it, And the Pequod
1: goes down like a rock. Well, there's also a reference to how Satan will take down anyone with him because basically Satan knows his future is is very dark. And so there's a point where a bird accidentally gets nailed to the sinking ship, gets tangled up in the flag, and it's sinking just like Satan who will pull down anyone. So the bird yeah. goes down with the ship on accident.
0: Yeah, there's, there's one thing we may have missed. There's a little bit of, there's a, um, remember there's sharks that come up and, uh, there's a shark attack on the boat, and then you hear this this voice saying, "Oh, master, my master, come back!" <laughs> the sharks, the sharks! Cries a voice from the low cabin window. That's Pip. Pip's telling Ahab, "Get back on the ship." <laughs> you know, but they're all going down with the ship. Anyway. Well,
1: that's how maniacal Ahab is. They yeah. they hop into their boats in the midst of a swarm of sharks in the water. And every time they put their oars in the water, the sharks are biting away at the oars until their oars are just like almost slivers of what they once were. So they're, they don't care. He's looking right past the sharks and he's going after the whale no matter what. And the only question is, are the sharks going to feed on the dead whale or on the dead men? Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: well, um, by the end of the chapter, by six, page 623, we realize that Ahab dies. And so I think what we'll do is uh, we can talk about this in the highlights section, too, if we don't get it all. We're not going to get it all done today. But that just should make you want to read the book more. Mm. So, well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Now, on our next program, we will discuss the epilogue. And Mr. Turgeon and I will discuss our favorite highlights from this uh, great American classic. If you write in any comments or maybe questions, we could even incorporate those into the next program. And if we want to make the last program an hour-long program, so there's plenty of room for comments. I know someone called me recently and said, you know, we're really sorry that you always have to complain there's no comments. (laughs) (laughs) Write that down so we can read it as a comment. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll send it in. And then someone else called and said, uh, you and Mr. Turgeon, you guys are so good together. We really love you. I said, why don't you send some comments in then? So so they promised to send a comment. So we'll see. We'll see what happens here. All right. Now, uh, you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. I really recommend you buy the book and read it. And then you have... All of this, the episodes to listen to, and so you can really enjoy that.
1: Well, thank I, you very much as well. You got me a, a lovely decorated oh, copy, so yeah, that, I, ch- I cherish this gift, and yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be reading it many times oh, over. Yeah, well, so will I because I have to teach it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good incentive. So, so I, I told those students,
0: you know, if you don't understand what I'm saying in class, just go listen to go listen to the episodes. All right. So please buy the book. You're really gonna enjoy it. And and go to Amazon, as Mr. Turton says, and get the classic version. And it's really it's a penguin classic. I'll tell you, it's it's just worth having on your bookshelf. Um now you can also find a copy in your local bookstore. Also, you can also check your local library. So please, 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 please write me some comments. You may have to JBL at You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. And I know even recently I'm getting more uh, viewers on JBL, so I know you're out there listening. Now, you can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature, and I will be beefing up that page Uh, in June. We're going to be starting our new series, and maybe I'll announce a little bit about it today. It is going to be titled Read Like Churchill. So we're going to read the books that Churchill liked to read and the list is amazing and I know you're going to like it so until next time keep reading you've been listening to just the best literature on trumpet radio 101.3 KPCG streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com